we're in our Sunday night series, the book, how we got it and how to get the most out of it. Preparing the heart for a living encounter with God's word. And we'll be looking at that subject for a little while. It's one thing, as we've been doing, to take, what, six weeks looking at the books of the Bible, how we got the Bible we have, why we have the books included that we have included, why we have excluded others that some think are sacred text, um, what inspiration means, what inerrancy means, why it's important. Some pretty prominent local leaders, um, even in our area, some pretty prominent names questioning the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. And uh, I think it's precious, and I think it's a mistake to uh, dabble around with that. Enough said. I'll talk more someday about that. Preparing the heart for a living encounter with God's Word, the text is 2 Timothy, chapter 3, 13 verses. So once we have the book, how do we get the most out of the book? I'm sure if I was to ask you in private, there'd be people in this room, almost everybody, who would say you know somebody who told you they started reading the Bible and didn't get anything out of it. Um, why is that? How does that work? How can God's word become living and breathing and powerful and transforming? That's the topic we're going to move into for the next number of weeks. Once you have the text... That's great. How are our souls warmed by that text and transformed by that text? 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. But understand this. In the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, Lovers of money. I, I hear people every once in a while, they'll say, the Bible teaches us to love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the Bible doesn't teach you to love yourself. Not anywhere. What the Bible says that we all have this natural capacity to love ourselves, and we ought to direct that toward loving other people the way we naturally are inclined to love ourselves. But if you talk about, look at this list, where people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents. Does lovers of self sound like something positive that Paul recommends, or does it sound like something negative that he's concerned about? And it's the latter, of course. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, you can't make them happy, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, quite a list, isn't it? Having the appearance of godliness doesn't look like godliness, does it, when you read that list? What's he mean, the appearance of godliness? Well, the, the, the ritual. In this case, in, in the temple, in church. Knowing the songs. Upraised hands. Verse 5, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. 
avoid such people. And that doesn't sound very Christ-like, does it? Avoid such people. I mean, you would think he would say, witness to such people, um, pray with such people, something like that. First, avoid such people. And secondly, why? look at that list. Why would you have to tell anybody to avoid a person who is ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit? You have to tell people to avoid people like that? And then just stop. Just stop and honestly ask yourself. The people that you see adored by this world. Just just think of movies, think of music, think of images, think of awards. And that's a pretty good description of them. And on the whole, we, we admire people like that, full of themselves. Avoid, avoid such people. Avoid such people... Because the odds of you becoming like them are much greater than the odds of them becoming like you. This next sentence isn't very flattering and I need to talk about it before people get up in arms. From among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. And you have to understand in that culture and time there'd be very few women with any education at all. And they'd be easy targets for someone to come in with ideas and philosophies and religious beliefs and all sorts of things and just sweep them off their feet. A very different time from now and the warning is it's just there. Here's these people always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. That's stunning to me. Because it shows that there's, there's some issue here that isn't an intellectual issue, right? They have the capacity to learn. They're always learning, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Not, not shaped by what they're learning. Not, not transformed by what they're learning. Not helped by what they're learning. Not changed by what they're learning. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, that's a story, oh, I can't go into it. So these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, okay, Timothy. Timothy's about 19. He's pastoring. Paul's writing to him his father in the faith. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in faith, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, all these places where Paul was whipped, beaten, which persecutions I endured, Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. 
You got your notes in front of you? Read this last verse with me out loud. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let's read that again. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. What a text. So today we're going to look at how we can increase in the fruitfulness of God's word in our hearts. And I want to I start, we won't finish here, but we'll start here. I want to talk about how to increase the fruitfulness of God's word in your life before you open the Bible. Yes, that's what I said. You can increase the fruitfulness of God's word in your life before you open your Bible. That's what we're going to be studying tonight. One of the features distinguishing the perilous times, they're they're mentioned in verse 1 of our text, and they're mentioned in verse 7. Paul says that people will come to the place where, where they're not incapable of learning, but they are incapable of arriving at a knowledge of a truth. So, so they can, what they learn has no transforming influence. They, they can collect data the same way your computer can download software, but its character isn't transformed by it. It's just an informational download. So there are people who, who love information, love learning, but, but from it aren't growing in faith, Christ-likeness, godliness. It's a sad thing. It happens to pastors, it can happen to board members, it can happen to congregational people where, where the life is exposed to truth over and over. We sit in these same chairs. How many Sunday nights have we all sat here? I hear you there. And are we being changed? That's the issue, isn't it? We're wasting our time otherwise. And so that's what he wants to be talking about here. And then Paul gives these instructions to young Timothy. Timothy pastors in Ephesus. About how to deal with some problems in the church, most of which deal with false teachers and false teaching. But in the middle of it, in the middle of it, he also gives Timothy some wonderful instruction about godliness. Gives Timothy, this young pastor, instruction about how he can keep growth happening in his own life and ministry. Even in the middle of a very godless time. So the idea here, just so we know where we're all starting. Timothy, young Timothy, need not go down the path that a lot of the people in Ephesus are going. That's what Paul is saying to him. A lot of people are going into powerless, empty, vain, religious routine. And Paul wants Timothy to stand out in contrast to that. You, however, verse 10. I like that. But as for you, verse 14. Here's how everyone else is going. Here's what's happening in the culture. Here's what's happening in the changing values. 
where you go to school, where you work in that university class, society at large, this is where you are. Everybody's drifting away. Everybody's turning from objective truth. Everyone's turning from godliness. And Paul comes to this young man and says, not you. You don't have to go there. We usually think we do, don't we? You don't understand, Pastor Don. Everybody's like that. Not you, Paul would say. This side's always the young side on Sunday night. There's all old people over here. I like to look at right over here and I say, not you. Not well, Mike Howe's getting old, but <laughs> isn't that a great thought though? Not you. Everybody else in your cultural mix is going in a certain direction, and Paul would say, not you. But as for you, Timothy, though young, can shine, he can sparkle. Neither the difficulty of the task nor the pollution of the environment, neither one of those things should necessarily blunt Timothy's spiritual walk and growth. I love that. There are two ingredients that we're going to look at tonight. Two ingredients to staying shiny in perilous times. He's going to talk to Timothy about the power of a good example. And he's going to talk to Timothy about the power of the scriptures. Tonight we're just looking at the first one. That's why I said how you increase the fruitfulness of God's word in your life before you open your Bible. The elevating power of a great example, you see it in verse 10. 2 Timothy 3.10. Paul says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. I don't know if we'll get through all of those, but the key word there is followed. And and the idea behind that word is is more than just learning or even memorizing. The, The word actually was used to describe... Sometimes I watch, I watch Rini when she sews something and you work with a pattern and you have a piece of material and you have a pattern. Am I being too technical? for? And, and you pin the material to the pattern and then you cut along the line of the pattern and you just follow it exactly. Which is why she's used to doing that all the time and she's used to following directions and patterns. And when we buy a new barbecue... She has to come out onto the deck while I'm putting it together. Because I'll have 11 parts left over that obviously weren't needed. This idea of following. Cutting according to a pattern. Like you would, or you'd put a a pen or a pencil inside of a stencil and work your way around the edge. So Timothy shaped his life. He he cut the image of his life around the shape of Paul's life. He, He kept his eye closely on Paul and he used Paul's example as a measurement for his own life. Oh, that's how you do it. Oh, that's how you respond. 
Oh, that's how you apply that truth. That's how you respond when you're shipwrecked or stoned or whipped. You see, this is a hard, it's not a hard truth for us to hear, but it's a hard truth for us to really bring into our lives because our whole culture trains us to resist examples. I don't know if you think about it that way or not. Be your own person. Follow your own heart. Be true to yourself. And, and the idea behind all of those expressions is your own, your own instincts, your own heart from in here will give you better direction than godly examples out there. And all I can say is you just take a concordance sometime when you get home and you look up or do it on your computer, follow their own hearts. You'll find that phrase and you won't find one good thing said about it. Whenever people follow their own hearts, they end up in idolatry. Whenever people follow their own hearts, they end up in godlessness. Whenever people follow their own hearts, they end up in immorality. That's where it takes you. Don't follow your heart. Follow a godly example. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Here are some of the things Timothy followed in Paul's example. He says in verse 10 that Timothy followed Paul's teaching. You, however, have followed my teaching. Don't just gloss over that. Have you read Paul's teaching? It takes a lot of work to follow Paul's teaching. We know Peter said some of the things Paul taught were, were tedious and deep and hard to comprehend. This text, however, says Timothy worked at it. He's young. Younger than most of the people in this room. He was bright. He made the time. He took the effort to study and learn Paul's doctrine. How much time do you give to learning the truths of the faith? And when do you do that outside of church? If you convert to Mormonism, every Mormon gives the first two years to study and missionary work full-time. You have to do it. They won't take you otherwise. How much time do you give to understanding your faith? What do you read that isn't fiction? How much time do you give per week to to real doctrinal study. And then, and then, Paul gives the reason this is so important. It's not that people don't like to learn. We all like to learn. The problem is, we like to decide what we're going to learn. We like to decide what we're going to program into our minds. We program our own iPods. Thank you very much. I can find just the music I like. Right? I can download just the podcasts I'm interested in. It's convenient, but it can be a huge problem in the church. In fact, 
Paul says it will become a bigger and bigger problem in the church in the last days. 2 Timothy 4.3 For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. So we know he's talking about church because he's not talking about the ballpark. They don't get teaching there. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their their own passions. This is just what I really like. So, so, So Paul is telling Timothy to follow his example, follow his teaching, follow his example, because he says more and more as time goes by, there'll be greater and greater pressure on Timothy and the church because people will increasingly want to have the option of choosing and shaping their experience of faith and church around their own tastes. They will decide for themselves what they want to hear and how they want to hear it. You think about this for just a sec. Typically, as a church grows, uh, what it will do is something like this. Church grows, it will, it will, they almost all follow exactly the same pattern. I'm talking evangelical churches. They follow the very same pattern. As the crowds get bigger, um, they will go to multiple services. They will go to multiple services with the same teaching in, in all the services. Maybe two morning services, maybe three, maybe two in the morning, one on a Saturday night. The kind of Christian ed that we have in our church... that's gone, and Sunday night is gone. Um, There'll be children's ministries during each of those services, but in terms of a collective kind of Christian education for everyone in the church, that goes. Then Sunday night goes. And then you have multiple morning services, but people only go to one, so everybody's everybody's getting one teaching a week, and maybe there's home groups. And then the services will become... This is a traditional service. This is a contemporary service. My brother goes to a large church. There's traditional, um, contemporary, and liturgical. And And the idea is, everybody gets to choose, everybody gets to choose church just the way they like it. And I don't have to be inconvenienced by your love for hymns, or your love for courses, or your love for drums, or your love for a pipe organ, I don't, have to, I don't have to accommodate myself to your taste because I'm going to service B, thank you very much, and they do it just the way I like it. So, here we are trying to train a generation of Christian people. We're trying to teach them to take up their cross, deny themselves, love their neighbor as they love themselves, and follow Jesus. And the way we do it is, we make sure they are not inconvenienced in any way on Sunday. Is that going to work? What should happen in a good church is everybody should find just enough things annoying knowing that somebody else likes it. It's called growing up. It's called Christ-likeness. Paul talks to Timothy and he warns them that now, not just style, but content, truth. People are going to... I, like, I, like, I just like the way they do it. I like, 
what they say. I don't, I don't like this emphasis over here on that. I, this is more to my liking. Paul says increasingly, people are going to move away. Here's what will happen. People are going to move away from doctrinal depth and intellectual effort. Paul says they will want their itches scratched. One of the most beautiful things about being married is you can, in the whatever time, you can ask your wife to go right there, just scratch, and get your back scratched. There's nothing nicer than having an itch scratched. Am I? Is that not the truth? You got a real itch, and it's scratched. That's as good as it gets. And and people like having itches scratched. And Paul says to Timothy, this is what's going to happen with people's spiritual lives. They're going to start thinking about just what they like. So our whole society, and, and, and leaders will cave into that. Church leaders will increasingly move to dishing up what people want because church leaders want good numbers and they want good offerings and they want everything to go well. And so the whole thing will spin in that direction. So this, this movement, our whole society, pulls in the opposite direction of Paul's words to Timothy. So he says, follow my teaching. We already know his teaching was involved. Read the book of Romans. It's difficult. Study it. Paul's going to say, study to show yourself approved unto God. Did you ever think of God's call to homework? The creator wants your study time. The second thing Paul mentions is he says, Timothy followed his conduct. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct. That's in verse 10. The idea here is when when the world around you is getting dark, find someone who walks in the light and follow him or her. I need to stress, I'm not talking now just about following Jesus. Of course we want to follow Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The problem is, Jesus isn't here right now. He does give us guidance and direction from his word, by his spirit, precious. But you can't physically see Jesus. And that's why, surprisingly, Paul tells Timothy to follow him. Follow my example. See, Timothy could see Paul. He could remember watching how Paul reacted in very concrete, difficult situations. And Paul was very influenced. We know he was there persecuting the church when Stephen was stoned to death and he saw Stephen's example and it it affected Paul. Luke tells us how Paul was there watching. Shadow people who follow Jesus. We all need it. And here's why. 
if we don't work at following good examples, we will automatically be drawn to bad examples. But we will all follow someone. The only difference is the effort required. You can drift behind a bad example, but you have to seek out and hold on to a good example. Years ago, I kept it on file. I read this article by Chuck Swindoll. He wrote an excellent little comment on the moral power of the crowd, he called it. It's kind of a long quote. Listen to this story. On March 16th, 1968, the U.S. military conducted what was called Task Force Baker in My Lai, South Vietnam. American soldiers killed between five and 600 unarmed women and children. And all of this was under the command of Lieutenant William Calley. Quote, Strangely, the American public didn't find out about this until the end of March 1969, one whole year later. And though he never fired one shot, Lieutenant Calley was the only one convicted of war crimes. This, even though over 500 soldiers knew all about the brutality of that incident. In a whole year, not one person admitted or reported anything about the incident. Psychologists later reported on this strange silence, saying, quote, It's a classic example of psychic numbing, which operates in any group. The group creates its own moral anesthesia. In situations where our moral limits are tested and stretched, the group aids in the capacity to block out and numb one another's accountability. We are greatly encouraged by being in the midst of others doing the same thing. Instead of crisp thinking, distinctly weighing the rightness or wrongness of an act, we find it possible, even easy, to pass the moral buck to some other part of the group. In this way, not only does the individual forsake his or her conscience, but the conscience of the whole group as a whole becomes so diluted and fragmented that it's almost non-existent. It's a simple sort of thing. The horrid becomes normal. We lose our sense of guilt altogether. With the crowd, we simply tune it out. That's the power of bad example. It's the power of following when you reach the edge of your moral limits. You haven't reached the edge of where you can drift as long as you've got a crowd pulling you in that same direction. And if you doubt that, you just think of the stupid, and I mean morally stupid things that you have done and you'll discover, I think, that most of them were done with other morally stupid people. You take on the standards of the group. You take on the standards of the group. We all do it. 
So, no wonder in the middle of a corrupt society and a doctrinally skewed church, Paul tells Timothy, stay close to the pattern of my example, he says. Find a person that will sharpen your standards, not nullifying them. Find a person who will stretch you after Christ, not someone who will shape you more and more like the pack of the world. Oh, i got to hurry. The third thing he says... We'll close with this one. Timothy followed Paul's purpose. It's in that 10th verse still. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. Now, that, this is an important distinction in the whole process. It explains the previous point of following Paul's conduct. Because not only did Timothy know and follow what Paul did, his conduct, he also knew why why Paul did those things, his, his, his purpose. That's really interesting that Timothy never interpreted Paul's disciplined life as being what most Christians today would call it, just kind of legalistic. Lots of people interpret serious holiness that way. It's a cop-out. No, Timothy saw Paul's passion, his his love for the Lord, the fuel that made Paul do the things he did. Peter just, Timothy didn't just see Paul's actions, he saw Paul's heart in those actions, the love of his life in those actions, his zeal for following Christ above everything else. You can't go wrong with an example like that. Most of the people in Newmarket tonight have three loves. They're identified in this text. If you have it in front of you in some form or another, 2 Timothy 3, verses 2, 3, and 4, there's a long list, but there are three times where Paul tells us not just what these people do, but there are three occasions where he says, here's what they love. And that's where all the actions come from. Look at it. 2 Timothy 3, 2 to 4. People will be, here's the first one, lovers of self. They'll be lovers of money. Then he says, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. That's what they don't love. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So there are three things that most people in Newmarket tonight are in love with. Lovers of self, what will secure self, what will satisfy self, what will prepare self for life in the world, self. Lovers of self, lovers of money, I need a degree because I'll get a better job. I'll get a better house. I'm selling the house in Newmarket because look at the housing market. I'm moving to Barrie. I can get a bigger house in Barrie than I can get in Newmarket. And I'll have more stuff. Lovers of money. Lovers of pleasure. And when Timothy watched Paul, he said, here's a guy that's not in love with any of those three things. And he noticed it. 
Here's a guy driven by a totally different kind of purpose. Timothy followed Paul pretty closely. Timothy saw Paul in all sorts of very trying, difficult, tempting situations, following him at close quarters, and Timothy can actually say, here's a man that isn't motivated by any of those three things. How many people do you know like that? There. There's your example. Stay with that person. You can almost hear Timothy as he talks about his mentor, Paul. He's quite amazing, you know. He's a man you just can't buy. He's not much interested in money except to fund the expansion of the kingdom. He's driven, but it's not by a quest for power or position. He's He's just consumed by a holy love for the risen Christ. It seems to steer everything about his life. It shines through everything he does, everywhere he goes, everywhere he travels, everything he says. See, this church, 1000 Gorham Street, it's supposed to be full of people like that. Right? It's supposed to be full of people like that. That's God's design. Kids are supposed to see parents and teachers so committed to Christ, they find no satisfaction whatsoever in self, money, pleasure. We'll look at more characteristics of Paul's example to Timothy. There's a lot more. But there's enough right here. I mean, of course we all want to follow Jesus. I think that's a given. But perhaps we need to rethink the fact that there are many other people who are following us. Right now, in Cedarview Community Church, there are people who are living their Christian life the way they live it because that's what they learned from watching the way you live your Christian life. Did you know that? They're living their Christian life the way they live it because that's what they learn from watching the way you live your Christian life. So there, there are two responsibilities before us from this passage of Scripture. Here's what we've looked at. First, find good examples. Find good examples. Seek them out. You will either find them and follow them, or you will be drawn after bad ones. Find a good example. Secondly, be a good example. You are the best Christian somebody knows. Make sure they see something shining in your life. Let's pray.